Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets2 Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. everyone. Half a day. This is Mary-Kate Saliva with you here on Veteran Voices. Thank you for joining us today as we've got a wonderful conversation teed up for you today with a veteran and an advocate. Stay tuned for a great discussion. Quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of Supply Chain Now family of programming. Today's show is in partnership with near and dear friends of mine at Vets to Industry Learn more about this powerful nonprofit that is serving so many folks, so many veterans and military community around the world at vets2industry.org. An initiative dear, near and dear to my heart, the Guam Human Rights Initiative. Find them on LinkedIn and at the University of Guam under the Regional Center for Public Policy. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest today. Our guest today is a full-time student He's also a veteran of the United States Navy. Super, very excited to welcome in Kai Henderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kai. Thank you for having me here. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Um, I really want our guests to get started and pumped up. I don't know what time of day it is in their side of the world, but I'd like you to pump them up with some motivational talk today. So. Could you share with us a little bit motivation and, and perhaps your favorite quote? Absolutely. So my favorite quote is from Dwayne Johnson, also known as The Rock. I really resonate with his story. He came from poverty and um, struggled with mental health. And when he was asked about his success, he said, be humble, be hungry, and be the hardest worker in the room. And I've adopted that in my day-to-day -day life and have seen a lot of success from that. So yeah, he's my go-to for inspiration. I love that and like super fun because like we talk about with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you know, he's Pacific Islander, I'm Pacific Islander, but he's Polynesian, whereas I'm like, what about the Micronesians, man? Don't forget about the Micronesians. Like we got Moana, Lilo and Stitch. I'm like, come on now. Yep. So uh, love, love, love him is big family guy. Love that quote. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you touched a little bit on the quote, why it's important to you, but I'm going to take it way back now for our listeners today to get to know a little bit about you. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you grew up. Uh, so I grew up in a little place called Plummerville, Arkansas. It's about 300 people. You can blink. If you're driving like past the interstate, you can blink and miss it. It's just it's such a small town. It's a place everybody knows everyone. And um, I grew up on a farm there. My parents had a, a chicken farm, grew for Tyson. And um, yeah, wow. super small place. We didn't even have a public school. It was so tiny. And uh, we had to go to- really? I don't even think I heard place. of that. Yeah, super small place. So with the with that being said, it was one of those where you only had like one traffic light or do you not even have a traffic light? We didn't have a traffic light. No, we just had stop no. signs and dirt roads. <laughs> 
we had we did have one gas funny. station. So yeah. if I was to ask for directions to like the nearest grocery store, what kind of what would what would you say? Is like turn left at the stump on the road? <laughs> <laughs> Just about, yeah. You'd have to go over to the next city. Uh, you could get groceries, like some small things at the local country store, but outside of that, if you want to get like you know stuff for a full meal, you'd have to go either to the next city or you could also hunt. A lot of people had farms and they grew their own food and did hunting that kind of thing. But but yeah. You'd have to drive a little bit. So in a in a town like that where everybody knows everybody, what were some of the pastimes that you did? Like, did you play music, sports, or what was there to do around there? I played with dirt, rocks, and sticks a lot. I had a, and I got some like little dump truck toys whenever I was a kid. So I I essentially just like hauled dirt around and built little things out of dirt. And yeah, very very poor. Uh, we didn't have a you know a lot of money, so you kind of use what is around you. And I grew up out in the country in woods and stuff, so I play like that. And then we had you know farm animals. I had a farm dog, so I'd go play with my dog or ride my bike, go fishing, that kind of thing. So you actually you had water nearby then where you lived? A little bit. We had a little creek that ran through our property. It was very small, but enough to get wet in and play in some mud and um, catch some crawdads. So. Crawl dads. Yeah. They're they're really, I hate to touch them because it feels really weird. And I got, I went for a fishing recently with my friend and um, I was telling him how I don't like to touch fish. I like to go fishing, but I don't like to touch the fish because how they feel. And, uh, but yeah, I am. Um, I so usually like play with them like with a stick, but I'm not a fan of picking them up. Oh my goodness. So it just sounds like a bunch of, you know, playing around with dirt. Well, you start mentioning the critters and like wondering what kind of critters come out of the creek. That's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah, yeah the snakes. You had to really watch out for snakes. Uh, there was this one time I went fishing and I accidentally caught a snake instead of fish. It was very terrifying. And um, whenever I was five years old, I actually almost got bit by a, uh, a cottonmouth. It's very, very scary. And even now to this day, I have an aversion of snakes. I respect them, but I want my own space. It's very scary. But yeah, you can um, you can get in trouble uh-huh. down at the creek. You gotta be careful. Well, yeah, it sounds like there's there's friendly things and deadly things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I really love the idea though of small town living and simple living and everybody kind of knowing everybody else is there. There a time about you all experienced where you all came together as a community to to support or help one another out? Yeah, so a lot of the people who lived in the town um, also had chicken farms or some type of farm, cattle, horses, and we were always helping each other and a lot of bartering and trading, those kinds of things. And yeah, if you needed someone, all you had, they were just a phone call away. It was really nice to have that sense of community too growing up. I love that. And I think that's what it, it's all about. That really sounds like you can't get more American than that. I'd love to hear a little bit about an anecdote or two that you may have from your up, upbringing, sort of some lessons learned. Yeah. So I grew up very poor. Uh, there was a, a long stint of time where I actually lived in a camping tent. All my parents could afford was a small lot of land. And there was my stepdad, my mom and myself, and we lived in this tiny little tent for like a year and a half, two years. And during that time, uh, my parents started to build a house on the property and we had the, the shell of it up and, you know, there's some walls on it and enough where we could live in and have some shelter. And uh, 
on the property, they drilled a well so we could have some water mm-hmm. and they ran the pipes on top of the ground because we weren't able to dig into the ground and set the pipes where they needed to be just yet. So I remember it was summertime and we didn't have hot water in the house. It was just the cold water from the ground. And uh, I went in to wash my hands and the water was warm and I was so excited. And I like bolted out the house to go find my mom. I was like, mom, we have hot water. We have hot water. And I was like five, six years old at the time. And um, my parents started laughing at me. I didn't, could, didn't realize what was going on. But what it was, the sun had heated up the pipes that were on top of the, the ground. And that's why the water was warm. And I remember whenever I found that out, I was so disappointed because I was like, I thought we had hot water. And I kind of going back to my quote where Dwayne Johnson talks about being hungry. That was the day I became hungry for success. And I promised myself that I was not going to live like that when I was an adult. And, you know, just trying to, to make my way into life like now and just be successful. And yeah, I will never forget that day. Wow. That is so powerful. And uh, thank, thank you for sharing that. I can actually just imagine mm-hmm. your sort of your reaction. I can kind of visualize that about how excited you were just to feel the warm water, but then to find out that it was from the sun on um, you. And again, I, I love back to that, go back to that simple living, but the fact that you said like that was when you decided that you wanted more for yourself. And that's probably, that's a great segue, I think, for uh, to talk to our listeners about what led you into the Navy and, you know, your, your time in uniform. Was it something where the recruiters just happened to bump down the, down the road in a truck and say, <laughs> does anyone want to join the Navy? I mean, you, I'm imagining a small town here, but what was like, was there even a recruiting station near, near your house? There was one about 30 minutes away. And so what piqued my interest in the military was one of my neighbors, neighbors was actually a Marine veteran. And I uh, hung out with him a lot. We did shooting practices together and stuff and just hearing about his experience. And I also have family members who have served in the military as well. So I've always kind of had interest there. And I kind of explored that interest a little bit as a like 17, 18 year old. But I decided I wanted to wait and see if I could, you know, maybe do something different with my life. So I established a really good career. Um, I was actually a police officer before I joined the military at Arkansas. And I enjoyed my time there, but I, I felt like I was stuck. And most of the people that I grew up with and had known in Arkansas, most of them never left. They just stayed. And I wanted more for myself than that. And I loved where I worked, but you know, that desire to, to do more, to be more, to see more and explore the world. So I knew the Navy wouldn't station me back in Arkansas. And uh, so that's why I picked the Navy. And yeah, I went out and I didn't do a lot of traveling. I didn't get to go overseas, which I was kind of hoping for at the time. But I traveled out to Chicago for uh, boot camp. And then after boot camp, I went to a school out in Florida, which was amazing. The best food I've ever had, I think, was up there. Yeah. And then I got stationed in California, which is what I ultimately wanted. I wanted to be out in California to experience the food, the culture, you know, the community out here. And yeah, I stayed after I got out and plan on putting some roots down here. Yeah, I love that. What was it? Had you seen the ocean at that point before you joined the Navy? I saw it once. And I actually went, I flew out to California for a friend's wedding and I just fell in love with the place. And I was like, I got to come back. and 
not just a visit, like I want to come to stay here for a while. And yeah, so I, I lucked out. I got orders to California. I was so excited. Everyone, I read my orders, it said Lemoore, California. And I was like, I don't know where Lemoore is, but I'm excited it's California. So I mean, because California is a pretty small state, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Anyone listening that yeah. doesn't know California, it's really no, it's huge. But it's um, huge. yeah, it's like, yeah. Gosh, it takes me back to like when when I got my orders for my first duty station and it was like Fort Detrick. And I'm like, where the hell is Fort Detrick at? It was like this little tiny little base, but it was, um, I, I can't say that I had the look of happiness like you did in getting California as your first station. I swear like everybody in my AIT advanced individual training class got really cool duty stations. And then I ended up out here in Maryland. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we just talked a little bit earlier about the sunshine and the heat that you're getting. So I'd appreciate you to package some up and send it my way. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome to all of it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm ready for, for summer. But you, you touched a little bit about oh, where, you, where you got to go and, and what you got to do. What were you doing um, in Florida at the time? Because now when you're imagining when you talk about food, I'm thinking like, did you eat gator for the first time? <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. So uh, Florida, Pensacola, Florida actually has the best Navy galley um, in the entire branch. So I felt really lucky. Like you get like fresh omelets, like they'll crack the eggs like in front of you and they make your food fresh. So you don't have this like, I don't know, egg powder and water type of eggs, you know, it's, especially if coming from That's boot camp. That's fine. You know, what is, what is the Navy doing over here? I feel like the Army, it's, we still get powdered eggs. Y'all are getting yeah. fresh eggs over there in the Navy? And Pensacola, nowhere else that I found, but Pensacola, yeah, you get fresh eggs. So it was, it was so nice coming from boot camp because, you know, boot camp, you get all like the waterlogged food and it's no telling how long it's been frozen. And so, yeah, it was so nice to go to Pensacola and get some fresh food, like fresh fruit. And it was so good. You didn't mention sausage gravy once at all. That's like the premier, premier cuisine. What? <laughs> you all yeah, just no send it over to the army guys. Oh my goodness. Um, that's, that's, I, I actually, I think that's fantastic. You got to experience the East coast, you got to experience the West coast and you ultimately stayed out in California. And during that, that time uh, in your career, are there, is there anybody that really sticks out to you that was uh, paramount to your, your growth during that time or someone that really took you under their wing that you want yeah, to give so a special shout out to? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever I first got to my uh, duty station in Lemoore, uh, Petty Officer Blake was my first point of contact, and they were my mentor during my time there. And um, they just kind of took me under their wing and showed me the ropes. And I mean, they were like, they had so many resources, you know, if you needed anything, you know, with like mental health or just navigating base or, you know, what's what's around to eat or, you know, just absolutely anything. They were the go-to person. And they were kind of known as like a like a mother figure around the entire squadron. Like they were just so motherly and caring, and like it was genuine. Like they actually cared about your well being. And um, I remember that making all the difference. I really really love that. Was that something that you felt like you were able to pass on to the sailors that you worked with? Yeah, I did my best too. So Petty Officer Blake actually worked in maintenance admin, and whenever I mm. first got to my duty station, I started out in the line check. And because um, I had an aviation rate and I worked in line check for a little bit. And then I got to go to work in maintenance admin, which is a luxury, especially if you're 
a junior enlisted person, like you don't, going to maintenance admin is like very rare. And so I, I felt very blessed that I got picked and um, she actually became my supervisor too. And, um, but yeah, I, being a maintenance admin, you have access to a lot of resources for the squadron and um, a lot of networking. And I also worked or volunteered for Stapper, which is the sexual assault prevention and response department. And being in there, you meet a lot of people and you get to, there's also for the Navy, there's a fleet and family, which has a lot of resources. And um, I got to work with the people that in fleet and family a lot. So I had access to a lot of resources and being able to pass those on to incoming sailors was a really good feeling. So I remember what it was like to be in their shoes and you're just, you know, you're like bright eyed and bushy tailed and you're just like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening in a new place. And yeah, that's it's, actually it's a nice great to way to describe offers. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way to describe it, Brian, in a bushy tail, because I'm thinking of like <laughs> something straight out of it. All these Disney references, but I think you're you're right. Uh, we were talking, I was talking to someone recently about even the, the DVDs of the videos that they show us at the recruiting center where you're trying to figure out what job you want to do. And yeah. it's like, and then the videos are just so cool. And so when you join, you're just like, yes. And you're just ready to take on to your career. And then you can start slowly seeing how salty the, the seniors start getting. But I love yes. that somebody stepped up and, and took you under their wing. And, and even more than that, like actually told you where the good places were to eat. Yes. But I guess I wanted, we, I sort of missed that part because now, now I'm curious, like what made you actually pick the job that you ended up getting in, in the Navy? So that's kind of a funny story. So whenever I joined, I did the aviation apprenticeship. I forget exactly what it's called, but I went in and I got, I was undesignated. I didn't have a, like an assigned rate. So you, for your first two years that you're in, you try different aviation jobs. So you can try like the aviation mechanic job, um, avionics, et cetera. Um, but what ended up happening and for other people who also did the aviation apprenticeship is you get stuck in the line check. And the line check does all the grunt work for your squadron. And you don't get a lot of experience in the areas that you're supposed to get experience in. So at the end of my two years, I got to put in for a rate that I wanted. And you can list your top three that you want to have. And based off the needs of the Navy, you get assigned a rate. So I ended up getting aviation structural mechanic. I never did anything with it. My whole time, I worked in admin. So yeah, that's a... It's not what I was expecting, but um, it was an interesting journey. I love that saying, needs of the Navy. That yeah. is not <laughs> for our listeners. That basically means that you do not get anything that's on your wish list. Uh, if you were able to pick one that you wanted, what would you what would you have picked? Out of like any rate? Mm-hmm. It's a tough one. You're starting to make me think you wanted to pick cook. You see, just so you get that fresh eggs anytime you wanted. You know, I, I actually was interested in being a cook until I um, I found out kind of what goes on with being a cook. And I was like, absolutely not. But um, I think if I had to pick anyone, it would probably be something with like an IT or admin or maybe cybersecurity. Yeah, those are absolutely great ones too. And I, I love that you you did the SAPR program as well, because even for those specialized ones, not everyone gets an opportunity to step in those roles or step up for those roles. So I think that's great that you did that. Were there any other uh, 
any sort of training or certification opportunities or, that you did and took advantage of while you were on active duty? So while I was on active duty, I I didn't. So I got a lot of certifications. My job in maintenance admin was actually managing all the qualifications for our squadron. So I got to see what was out there. And um, yeah, before I left, I had probably 20 different ones. And um, it was, it was nice because you could, you got out of it what you put into it. You could, you know, essentially, obviously if you had the time, because you have to take care of your job first and then train in a second. But, um, but yeah, there's unlimited opportunity. I think every branch has one, but um, ours is called Navy Cool. So you could put in so many hours and get an apprentice, apprenticeship or like certification. And yeah, there's endless opportunities for education, which is amazing. Absolutely. I definitely take advantage of those if you're still on active duty for those tuning in today. But I really, you actually mentioned the word networking earlier. And I think yes. that was sort of a foreign word to me when I was on active duty. I think I was just doing it without knowing what it really was. And it wasn't until I was transitioning out of the military that I really understood the value of networking. So could you touch a little bit on, on what you did in, in that aspect and how you even came to know the, the importance of networking? Yeah, so I, I didn't understand the importance of it until I was taking my classes to transition out of the military. And in those classes, they talked relentlessly, network, network, network. Yes. And I was like, well, how do I do that? I didn't have a LinkedIn account. So I, I got a LinkedIn account and I just started like following people that I knew and you know, following people that they knew. And eventually over time, you can, you know, build up a pretty good network of people. But yeah, it's you don't know what you don't know, right? And if you don't know to look, or you don't know to network, then chances are probably not happening. So I, if, you know, the people listening to this, if you get an opportunity to network, do it. If you don't have a LinkedIn account, make one, you know, reach out to people. And there's people out there that want to connect with you and help you and support you. And that's absolutely, that's wonderful advice. And uh, that's sort of good because I was just thinking about if you were in, in a room of transitioning service members, what you would say to them. And I think that's really amazing advice, leveraging your network. But for those who may be tuning in, I think one of the unique things about us in service is we sort of programmed and wired to be afraid to put ourselves out there. And we are continuously thinking about the team and those to our left and right. Uh, but this is a time, like you said, transitioning, that it's focusing now on y- yourself. So for the, what would be your advice for those who, who may s- still be afraid to put themselves out there, like even putting a last name on LinkedIn, for example? Yeah, so I was actually that person. Um, yeah, I'd put my first name at last initial. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't have a photo of myself either. But it's hard to connect with people if you don't know who they are. So take that step, take that leap, it will pay off. And whenever you're transitioning out of the military too, it is never ever too early to prepare to leave. Because it is, whenever I went into the military, I thought, you know, when you left, it was similar to leaving any other job. It is not. Um, My contract was only for three years and I didn't re-enlist. And whenever I transitioned out, it took a solid year of prepping. And looking back on it, I kind of wish I would have started a year and a half in because there's so much to transitioning out of the military. But, you know, just take that first step is my advice. That's great advice. Uh, I was also guilty of that. And and many of my mentors still reference and laugh at me about, they remember when I was just 
Mary S and then Mary Kate S. And I was like, you know, catfishing. I was like, they probably think that I'm some fake person in my mom's basement and don't even know what I look like or if I'm a real person. So surprised nobody was connecting with me before I really put myself out there. And I was, I'm wondering because uh, you mentioned about how you just did the one contract. And this is something that I really you know, wanted to bring you on to veteran voices, because I think there's a lot of service members out there that may only want to do one contract. And they're sort of on the on the fence about whether they want to stay in or not. And, and many make a, a wonderful career out of it. But did you sort of get that where people were saying, you know, stay in, you know, keep sign another contract. Did you experience that? And sort of like, how did you process, like, this is the right decision for me? Yeah. So I actually received a lot of pressure from my command to reenlist. And at one point it was presented to me as I didn't have a choice that I was going to have to. And I remember just feeling disheartened. And at the time, like I'm, you know, even now, like I'm trying to grow my family and with being on active duty comes deployments, you know, you're not home very often, you have long work hours. And I really wanted to take time to focus on my family. So I knew, like, I felt really solid in that and knew that this one contract was all I was gonna do. And for some people, they don't know, you know, so if you don't have kids, if you don't, you're not married, there's so much opportunity and you don't have, you know, you're not like attached to people back home so much. So going out and being on, you know, six to six plus month deployments or detachments isn't so emotionally straining. So mm-hmm. if you know, you're in a place like that and I say go for it, you know, if that's something that feels right and it feels solid to you, go for it. And if you're on the fence, you're not sure, then take time. Don't let people pressure you. It's your life. They don't live your life. You live your life and you go to bed with yourself every night. So do what is going to feel right to you. Wow. Oh, like, how do I even follow that? That was really powerful. And gosh, I, I could feel, I could feel every word that you were saying there. Cause I think that that was something that I struggled with. I got out at the halfway mark. And so the pressure there of, you know, you're already over the hill, push you so much further to go and uh, really taking that step back to do an assessment of your, your goals and where you see yourself. And, and so I think that, especially for those who are tuning in that only did or on the fence, they only want to do one contract. I think this was really valuable conversation to really do that self-reflection assessment, because sometimes I think we do stay out of, out of fear though, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying in and it's honorable to stay for the long haul. But I think that there's nothing wrong if you are wanting to take a step back and, and look for something else. So I really wanted to to touch on that as well with regards to what you're doing now. Um, yeah, I mentioned it, sort of give our listeners a little glimpse into the fact that you're a full-time student now. So if you could talk about a little bit what that looked like for you, your first coming out, maybe your first few months coming off of active duty, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I actually utilize the SkillBridge program. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, the last six months of your active duty contract, you can do an internship with a civilian company. So I found a, a software company based out of Georgia, and I only got to do three months of my, you know, at the end of my contract. But I did those three months, this skill bridge and transitioned. And at the end, it wasn't a good fit. 
And I, if, I felt really solid in the fact that if I was going to establish myself somewhere with a new career, it had to be a good fit. The organization had to have the same values that I have. And so my next step, I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I reached out to a veteran organization that's local here. And the, I got connected with the rep, veteran representative. And he was in a, a similar boat that I was whenever I got out. And his job is solely to help veterans find employment. So I was working with him and I got hired on or did an apprenticeship at a local uh, tech company. And I did that for a little while. And while I was going to school, I started going to college. And uh, there's, a com- there's a college out of San Francisco called Golden Gate University. And the veteran representative I was working with to find employment, I was actually going to school there. And he's like, hey, this college is amazing. They're very veteran and military friendly. If you get a chance, check them out. And um, I checked them out and yeah, they're just fantastic. And I, I stopped working in January, which is very weird for me. I've worked, I don't know, since I was like eight or nine. So I was working on the farm. And so like the last 20 years or so I've been working and now I am not working. And it just, it feels weird, but in such a good way. Like now I can mm-hmm. focus on my education and, you know, through my veteran resources, you can get, you know, like your GI bill, you can get a housing allowance. So that helps yes. pay for stuff and you can just focus on school. So if, uh, if you get the chance to focus on school, just that, I highly recommend it. It's very rewarding. Fantastic. And did you find help with your, your application for college or did you end up doing it on your own? I ended up doing it on my own, but was, was really cool is the veteran certifying officer at Golden Gate University. She helped so much. She just kind of like held my hand through the process. And um, I, I really wish there were more people like her in the world. She's amazing. But she told me about a program called the Veteran Rehabilitation Program. So uh, just kind of a brief uh, summary of what they yeah. do is if you have, I believe it's 30% or more disability, then they pay for a employment program. So what that can look like is if you need a bachelor's degree to get a job, they'll pay for that bachelor's degree. So she told me about the program and I actually qualified for the benefits. And if you get a chance, look them up. They're, they're phenomenal. Um, and I didn't realize like how beneficial that was going to be for me moving forward with my education. So instead of getting three years of my school paid, I'm getting seven years of my school paid. And during that whole time, I'm getting a a housing allowance based on the zip code of a college. And that, that's huge, absolutely huge. So you're more than doubling the years that you're getting for school. So you know you can get a, a doctor degree in eight years, right? You have seven years of schooling, so you'd only be out of pocket for one year. And then even at that, there's other resources that you can use to pay for school. So, and that kind of goes back to like, whenever you're transitioning out of the military, there's so many resources, like just yes. infinite amounts. And if you, again, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know how to look for them or even what they are that exist out there, you'll miss out on them. So yeah, highly recommend connecting with other people who have gone through this process or yeah, just reach out. Oh, I love that, that you're taking advantage of that. And you even mentioned mm-hmm. about the housing allowance, which I think is, is huge. And it's an incentive that we have coming from the military. So take advantage of that. And another opportunity is even the yellow ribbon program uh, being able to help with that, that gap is say, if you do run out of the, the funding, a lot of these universities across the country, part of the yellow ribbon program, 
So thank you for sharing that aspect of it. I'm big proponent uh, as a student veteran myself to really take advantage of that and sort of like my plug to look up your uh, veteran organization at your school, like the Student Veterans of America. Uh, there's just so many different uh, clubs and organizations out there that can help support you to achieve uh, your goals, whatever they may be in higher education. And I know we had talked offline about this, Kai, but I really uh, would love our listeners to hear a little bit more about what you're hoping to do with your education and uh, sort of what led you to that as well. Yeah, of course. So whenever I'll go back to when I was a little kid, I am. Um, my parents called me Dr. Nurse. And uh, I, the Great reason name. was, yeah, yeah. Um, anytime like a, a pet or one of our farm animals would get injured, like I was the like, first one to go doctor them up. And even when they didn't have injuries or boo-boos, I was like, you know, trying to, I was active. I would act like they did. They had injuries and I would like, um, you know, administer first aid to them. And um, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to go to medical school, but coming from such poverty, I was like, it's not in the cards for me. There's no way, even like if I try to pursue this, I would ever have the money to attend medical school. It's just not, it's just not for me. And I, it's kind of always been in the back of my mind. And that was part of the motivation for joining the military outside of just being stuck where I was. And I was like, I want to go to school. And I know that the military can help me do that. So I'm on track now to start medical school in two years. And it, it feels like a dream come true. Like I've just, I'm just in shock in the best of ways. Like I, I put in the work, I put in the effort and it's paying off. And now I'm on track to be a doctor and I'll be the first person in my family to be a doctor. And it's just, it's so exciting. And I couldn't have done it without the military and my VA benefits and um, just the people who have helped me along to know what was out there to you know, the resources that I could utilize. So I'm so thankful to all of them. And it feels good. It feels good to invest in yourself. And I know, like, you know, if I would have stayed in the military, like I wouldn't be on the track that I am now. And this is where I'm meant to be. So kind of going back a little bit to like, if you're not sure if you should get out or not, just, you know, think about your future long term and um, what you want to do with your life because anything, anything is possible. It doesn't matter where you come from the color of your skin, your race, you know, your economic status, you can be successful. And I'm living proof of that. You know, anyone can Amazing. be successful. Wow. And I really appreciate you saying that, Kai, because what you just said about how you, you're entering medical school in two years, I just think about if you had re-enlisted, where you would be at in your in that contract, um, you know, in, in the Navy. Uh, and, and sort of kind of like the parallel lives of those who had joined at the same time as you and kind of seeing, um, you know, where you took a step to the left or the right, where you pivoted. But now you're about to do this, be on this incredible path uh, towards medical school. And I love that you were a doctor nurse. So I keep wondering, like, once you pass medical school, your family going to keep calling you doctor nurse. Um, <laughs> and I keep thinking yeah, you said animals. Not. So not I'm exactly, like, Kai, but... you did say medical school with humans, right? Not like veterinarian school with animals. I'll tell you about a story from the farm when I was you know, helping the animals. <laughs> and I'm like, but you said medical school. We're going to go a little bit different uh, routes here. But... Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that inspired my interest to you know into medicine initially. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I I don't know. So again, it, just, it feels like a dream come true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely love that. You you see yourself staying out in uh, California to pursue that? Maybe, maybe. Um, I love it out here, so there's a really good possibility I'll stay. And I know we had talked about too, but maybe the opportunities that you have. I mean, just being a, a full fledged medical doctor, the opportunities for you. There's such a great need all around the world. So really admirable, the path that you're going on. And you're absolutely right. I mean, stemming from the motivational quote that you, you amped us up with in the beginning, right, Twing Johnson, uh, but now to now about how really you can do that. And I love that you're still, you can, you can hear how wholesome it is in, in the story that you share and just in the conversations we've had about how humble you are. And I think that that's just, you know, you're setting yourself up for such success. Uh, you really, I, I think some people, they're three times older than you, and they're still trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up. So I think it's really impressive uh, where you started and where you are now. It's amazing. Yeah, I feel so blessed. I do. And I, I, again, I couldn't have done it without the people um, that have helped me along this journey. And, and I'm very grateful for them and just, you know, grateful for recognizing the potential that I had in myself and uh, acting on that, you know, just again, investing in myself. And I remember whenever I first started, I'm going to touch on mental health a little bit. Whenever I yes, first started experiencing anxiety, I was in the military and uh, my mentor at the time, I had a couple throughout my um, contract, but she was telling me like how she has anxiety. And I was so shocked. I was like, you have anxiety? It's like, does anybody know? <laughs> and because um, I was taught like it was shameful. Like, um, you can't tell anybody you right. have anxiety or you're depressed. Like you can get, I was told you could get kicked out for that. And I was like, well, how do you get help for this if you can get kicked out for it? You know, like, and I didn't realize how common anxiety was or depression. And I, I started to like talk to more people and I was realizing, oh, most people here experience some kind of anxiety or depression or, you know, something. And, you know, it's, it's okay to get help. It's okay to invest in your own mental health. And I feel like a lot of times in the military, it's, there's a lot of shame around having like poor mental health. But I think if the shift, like in my squadron, for example, I wish the leaders would have put a little bit more of an emphasis on like, it's okay to take care of yourself. And I really appreciated that. Like when I worked at the police department, um, mental health was huge. It was a huge component. And if you needed a mental health day, that was okay. You know, and, and I think our military leaders could do a little bit better of a job about like, here are the resources. If you're struggling, it's okay. You can go get help. And just knowing that investing in your mental health is going to set you up for success. Absolutely. That whole uh, making sure that you fill your cup up before you pour into others. Yeah. Uh, really, really important uh, thing to talk about. Mental health is just so it's so important that we take care of ourselves, but that we also sort of do those buddy checks. You know, I think that when even when we come in the service, mm. you talk about battle buddies and we always got to go in, yeah. in pairs at least. And I think that's one of the things that I've take a step back as well is uh, when I have my mentors checking in on me 
and saying, you know, are you, know, are you okay? It looks like you're getting a little frazzled over there. So, <laughs> and then just taking a step back, taking a deep breath, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with seeking out that help and know that there's so many people out there that are advocating for us and for our mental health, that there's resources popping up. I, I keep, I feel like I'm continuously learning about new resources, new veteran service organizations out there that are really making this a center point of focus and conversation. And I mean, that's really like what we're having now. I think it's important to just be able to have that conversation about mental health and that it's okay if, to ask for help and to lean on one another. And I, I would love to ask you with, the, with regards to mental health, uh, for the disability rate, and you even mentioned it, that you, you're using the, the vocational program now for college. At what point did you decide to start filing and start, you know, really taking ownership of your, um, your disability claim? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, kind of like going back to it's never too early to prepare to transition out. Same thing right. with your, your disability, like it's never too early to prepare. And so... I um, reached out, I write, what was his name? I can't remember. Anyway, the Veterans Service Office, um, there's, they're all over the place. Reach out to them. They will actually do the paperwork for you. Mm-hmm. And they will help you. It is, there's so much paperwork. It is such a long process. It takes so many months. Um, it took me almost a year to get my VA disability oh, wow. rating. And I started seven months before I got out. So yeah, again, it's never too early to prepare. And you know, in the military, they're like, if you hurt yourself, you can just suck it up, right? Don't be a big baby. Um, go to the doctor. If you hurt yourself, go to the doctor, go to your medical doctor, you know, on base or, or wherever. And because all of those injuries or, you know, whatever you're going through, it adds up on your disability and you've earned it. You know, if you've injured yourself, say something. Um, and it kind of goes back into self-care a little bit. Like if you know, if something happens to you, it's okay to take care of yourself. And with mine, I, um, I claimed I over 37 things online and most people only put like five or so on their disability claim. But what's important is that you're putting everything that's happened to you and some things you won't get a rating for, or some things mm-hmm. they'll give you zero for. Um, but what's important is that it's documented. It's so important Absolutely. documentation with the VA. So yeah, it start a minimum of six months before you get out if you can. Um, and if not, that's okay too. Um, just reach out to your veteran service office. It's local to you and they can help you get started. Yes, and for free. I mean, all capital yes. letters, F-R-E-E, right? Yeah, uh, it's free. So it's money that you're leaving on the table without, and, and I really appreciate that, that you said you've earned this. You've earned it. You deserve it. You you served you raised your right hand, you take advantage of the help uh, from the veteran service organizations, from your rep representatives and get that help to file your claim. And even if you haven't now, uh, I have a dear friend of mine, Vietnam veteran, he didn't file his, he, he finally got his rating in 2016 and he fought in, in Vietnam. So it just is a, goes to show that if you don't have your claim, that there's still resources for you to file now so that you can get what you and your family deserve for that. And so really that self-care piece. So thank you for sharing and touching on that 
mental health, again, it's not an easy topic. It's not a pleasant topic, even over dinner, but it's something that's very important to talk about. And for those who feel like they're struggling alone to just know that you're not alone. And I think one of the things with the military that I love, we, we talk about one of the top things that people miss is the camaraderie. Uh, but we really reference one another as brothers and si sisters. I, I, and I have veteran sisters that I've never actually met in person, but this world that we're living in where I can just have a Zoom session or have this virtual meeting like we're doing now to be able to reach out and check in on one another, get to know one another. And they're, they've just been so, such an important part of my transition into the civilian side of the thing. So really value that. Um, I, I wanted to, to see if there was anything else that you'd like to share. Uh, I know we're about coming to a close today, but I really wanted to, you, you shared so many golden nuggets today with us, Kai. I really appreciate that. But was there anything that you wanted to leave our listeners with today? I would say just keep investing in yourself. You're worth it and you deserve it. You know, growing up, I, I was taught kind of I wasn't enough, you know, and it took me a long time to find my self-worth. And I just, you know, I wonder like if I could have invested in myself a little bit sooner, how far would I be now? And I'm, I'm very happy with where I am, but, you know, just if you get an opportunity to invest in yourself, whether it's your physical health or your mental health or financial health, any aspect, do it. Love that. Really love that. Uh, so for our listeners today, invest in yourself. You're worth it. Uh, know that you're not alone. You got two veterans, I was just say two disabled veterans here that are <laughs> just talking about. I sometimes say it, uh, about I feel like Mrs. Potato Head, like I'm just going to have to pull a limb off and you know trade it <laughs> in for something else. But I, I mean, I'm very, very grateful for the support that I have received. It's, it sounds like you've had incredible uh, mentors along the way in your journey. So our listeners want to hear more about you and your incredible journey. What's the best way that they can reach reach you? So I'm on LinkedIn. You can always hit me up there. And I'm also on Veterati as a mentor. So, um, you know, look me up and book a meeting with me. I'd be more than happy to talk with any of you. Veterati, that sounds awfully familiar, Kai. It was like a little bit about where you and I met. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We met there. Yeah. And I, I've made some amazing connections there. There's such a, a vast amount of people on Veterati from different backgrounds and different experience. So if you haven't checked it out, um, go check it out. It's, it's very uh, rewarding. Yes. And, and for our listeners who may not know about Veterati, it's a free resource available uh, to our community that you can sign up for a mentor. You, you can register as a mentee and then you can see this vast database of mentors that are volunteering their time to have a conversation with you. The system will connect you for about a one hour call and you can just go take the conversation from there. You can read a little bit about their bios, uh, where they're from, their background, and they're from a vast number of industries. So I'm sure that somebody out there on Veterati. So thank you, Kai, for being able to, for lending uh, your support there and signing up because I think when we just initially spoke, you weren't signed up as a mentor. And I was like, sign up for, as a mentor. Because even if you've only done one contract, you have learned so many lessons during your journey and transition that you already have a wealth of knowledge to share with those coming behind you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Kai. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
Yes, and, and on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, thank you for tuning in today. We invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Big thanks to our partners, my faves, Vets to Industry at vetsindustry.org. And th- this is Mary Kate Saliva wishing all of our listeners an incredible day and nothing but the best. Stay motivated, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care.